incredible to hear Ashley's story. And as she said there, Jesus came for everybody. And so this morning, I hope you're enjoying the morning so far. Part of what we wanted to do was give you a flavor of what we do in All In. And the second part of what we want to do as we come to Scripture is to just think about the priorities of the kingdom. Because it's easy to think about things like disability as a side issue, but this is a bigger issue. This is a kingdom issue. And so we're going to look at a story in a minute which shows how Jesus came for the marginalized, for the ostracized, for the rejected, for the disabled. But before that, um, a few months ago, I was at a faith and disability symposium, very fancy that it sounds, at Derby University. And there was a rabbi there from a Nottingham synagogue. And she brought a couple of scriptures which would be found in our Old Testament, which I think just set the scene and really highlight the love that God has for all of his people. So I'm going to quote them as she read them, but they would be identical in our Old Testament. And the first is in Leviticus 19.14. It says, you should not insult the deaf or place a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am Adonai, or I am the Lord, the sovereign Lord. And so we got into this conversation about this is not about the person knowing what you have done to them. That the Lord is saying it matters because of who I am, because he is Adonai, the sovereign Lord, because they are made in my image, and they matter to me. And so if we profess to be a people belonging to God and following him, it matters how we treat people with disabilities. In fact, it shows that we understand the God who created them in his image. And then Jeremiah 31.8 to Israel in exile, the prophet Jeremiah says, I will bring them in from the Northland, gather them from the ends of the earth, the blind and the lame among them, those with child and those in labor. In a vast throng, they shall return home. A beautiful promise there. And I think as we, as believers in Jesus, look forward to a future home, it mirrors a promise for all of us that will be included and gathered to be with him. So this morning, I want us to look at the story of Bartimaeus and Jesus in Mark chapter 10. But that comes in actually at verse 46. And prior to that, um, there are 45 other verses where I believe that Jesus, a radical Jesus, is setting out almost his incredible manifesto for the kingdom, the reign and the rule of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So before this encounter with Bartimaeus, Jesus has been hitting on some big subjects the first of which was the subject of marriage and divorce. The Pharisees had come to Jesus and said, Jesus, they wanted to know what he thought about divorce. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And uh, Jesus asked them a very specific question. What did Moses command you? And he asked that very specifically because he knew that there was no command. It was a permission because the people of Israel were asking essentially for a get-out clause. And the reason this was important was because a lot of the rabbis of the time had a belief that if, this is a quote, and I don't want anybody to write it down, if a man has a bad wife, it is a religious duty to divorce her. And you may be wondering what kind of things we're talking about there, but it's, um, some commentators say something as innocuous as not cooking a meal properly would constitute a bad wife and would therefore be context for divorce. I know. So it's into this context that the Pharisees want to know, what is Jesus going to say? Is he going to follow the religious and societal customs of the time, or is he going to say something different? And Jesus turns the whole argument on its head by taking them right back 
to the beginning, to Genesis, to the creation story, and reminding them that in the beginning, God made man and woman in his image, that they are both image bearers, that he blessed them, that he brought them together, and that he commissioned them together. In other words, it's almost as if he was saying to the Pharisees, listen, women, your wives, they're not simply a commodity that you can cast aside in a divorce when they displease you. He was elevating women and saying they have always been fellow image bearers. So into this society and religious context, Jesus was speaking a radical message about the kingdom. Next, people are bringing their children to Jesus and asking him to bless them. And the disciples got cross and were sending the children away. And Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. Again, children who in first century Jewish society had no rights and were seen as holding very low status in society are elevated and are brought into belonging in the kingdom. In fact, Jesus says the kingdom belongs to anyone who will receive it like one of these children, turning societal norms upside down. Once again, another radical message about the kingdom. The next encounter we read about in Mark 10 is with the rich man, sometimes called the rich young ruler. This is the guy who has everything. He's got it all together, and he's done all the right things. And his question is, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? What work do I need to put in to get myself to where I need to be in the kingdom? And this guy was wealthy. Undoubtedly, that would have been seen as a marker of God's favor on him and God's provision. And yet he was the one that went away sad because everything that he'd come to acquire, he'd also come to love, and he wasn't prepared to lay it down to follow Jesus. The love that he had became his barrier to the kingdom, because God is looking for hearts that will place him first and love him above all other things. And then finally, James and John, who, and their request to be sitting at the right and left hand of the Father, of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. Now, they'd obviously missed everything Jesus had said just before that because he'd been talking about all of the suffering that he was yet to experience and that anyone who wanted to follow him would have to be prepared to do the same. And in his response to James and John, Jesus seems to consolidate everything that he has been talking about in these previous encounters by telling them, listen, in this kingdom, the greatest are the least and the least are the greatest. God is not interested in religiosity, like the Pharisees were talking about. It's not interested in status, things that make us important, things that we think make us important. He is looking for people's hearts. And so Jesus paints this beautiful picture of a seemingly very upside-down kingdom. But that's what it looks like for Jesus to be ruling and reigning. And then we come to the encounter with Bartimaeus. So Liz and Stephen from All In are going to come and take us through the story. We're reading in Mark 10, 46 to 52. Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. Stephen, is that on? Okay. NIRV Accessible Edition is what we're reading from, so it might be a little different from your version. Jesus' and his disciples came to Jericho. 
They were leaving the city. A large crowd was with them, and a blind man was sitting by the side of the road begging. His name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. He heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, so he began to shout. Son of David, have mercy on me. Many people commanded him to stop. They told him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call for him. So they called out the blind man, cheer up, get up, on your feet, Jesus is calling you. He threw his coat to one side, then he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to be able to see again. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Right away he could see and he followed Jesus along the road. Thank you, Liz, and thank you, Stephen. Amazing. So we have this wonderful story, this amazing encounter, Jesus and Bartimaeus. What does this story have to teach us here in Derby City Church on the 17th of September? Well, I want to suggest that there are two teachers in this story and look at three things that I think Bartimaeus teaches us and three things that Jesus teaches us. So we'll start with Bartimaeus. And first of all, Bartimaeus understood who Jesus was. Verse 47, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The lovely thing about this is that nobody else in Mark's gospel thus far has given this particular understanding of who Jesus is. It's none other than Bartimaeus, who is the first person in Mark's account of Jesus's life to describe Jesus as the son of David and therefore make reference to him as king to the, the line and the throne of David. Jesus has been called other things up until that point, but nobody has referred to him as the son of David, and it's Bartimaeus that does that. And so as we look at Bartimaeus, there is a seemingly obvious but very important and necessary challenge to never assume people's ability or understanding or indeed even the depth of their relationship with Jesus based on their physical, intellectual, or psychological needs. This is a kingdom for all. Jesus will reveal himself to anyone and particularly to those whose hearts are open to him. And so we as believers, as people in the kingdom, always have to be willing to learn from one another about Jesus through the revelation that he brings to all of us, regardless of our age, regardless of our status. Every background all helps us to build up a bigger picture of who Jesus is, gaining new revelation of Jesus for ourselves. One of our favorite things so far at All In, it's going to be our sixth session today, is that guests and team alike, we are all learning more about who Jesus is from one another. And I think it's the most beautiful thing about what we get to do, because no one of us has the full picture of who Jesus is. And so if we want to see more of who Jesus is, we cannot neglect the voices of those who are living with disabilities or additional needs, because we will miss crucial revelation that they have. And so the question for us is, do we want to see more of who Jesus is? <laughs> There's our answer. <laughs> Amazing. 
Secondly, Bartimaeus was persistent. Verse 48, many people commanded him to stop. They told him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus didn't care that people were rebuking him. In fact, he shouted louder. And we can wonder about why the people wanted him to be quiet. Did they think that he deserved to be blind? They might well have done. That would have fit with the context of the society at the time, that it was either his sin or the sin of his parents. Did they think that Jesus was too important to pay attention to him? They might well have done, but if so, they had completely missed what Jesus was all about. Did they think that their needs to watch Jesus in action as he went on to the next city and did the next thing were more important than Bartimaeus's? They could well have done. But Bartimaeus was desperate, and he was going to stop at nothing to have an encounter with Jesus. And again, it challenges us about how desperate we are for more of Jesus in our lives, and even how aware we are of our need for him. Or can we sometimes be a bit more like the rich young man, thinking that we've done all the right things and we've got it all together? I don't know about you, but I have to be honest and say that for me, sometimes my need for Jesus is very dependent on how things are going. If I think that everything's under control, I've got it, it's fine. I don't find myself, if I'm really honest, on my knees in prayer in the same way, seeking the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to help me. I can so easily get self-reliant. It's when things start to unravel, start to fall apart, when I realize I'm reaching the end of myself, that's when I get desperate for Jesus. Well, Bartimaeus was so aware of who he was that he was desperate for Jesus, and he was unashamed. He didn't care what anybody else thought. He knew he needed Jesus, and he would stop at nothing to have an encounter with him. And I'm challenged by his persistence because so often I think we can shrink away having asked God once, approached Jesus once, and we don't always persist because we don't always feel that desperate. But how desperate are we for more of Jesus in our lives and how aware are we that we need him every single day? And thirdly, Bartimaeus was prepared for change. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call for him. So they called out to the blind man, cheer up, get up on your feet. Jesus is calling for you. He threw his coat to one side, then he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What I love about Bartimaeus is that he is not half-hearted and he threw away his coat or his cloak. I don't have his cloak, but I have this black tablecloth. But he was wearing this cloak, and it symbolized something for him. He wore the cloak because he was a beggar, and so it set the limit for his life. It affected how people looked at him and what he thought his life could be. But when Jesus called him, he threw this aside. Why did he throw it aside? Because he was fully expecting his life to change when he met Jesus. He wasn't going to need this anymore. And so what about us? Are we expecting Jesus to radically change our lives when we come to him? Do we jump to our feet when, he, when we hear his call? Are we ready for Jesus to do something so transformative in us? Or again, are we too quick to limit what we think Jesus can do based on our understanding or perhaps even our past experiences? Now, we may not be beggars and wear cloaks, but actually I think all of us have cloaks, things that we wear, that we put on, that limit us and limit us when we approach Jesus. And I wonder what that might be for you. 
Maybe it's lies that have been spoken over you. You'll never be good enough. You'll never amount to anything. Maybe it's things that you have believed about yourself. Maybe it's the way that others have treated you because of your background, because of where you come from, because of your abilities. Maybe it's a limit based on your own understanding, our own understanding of who God is. I don't really believe that he is truly all-loving, that he is truly all-good, that he is truly all-for me. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe your cloak is pride, like the rich young man thinking that you've got it all together and that you don't need anything else. But whatever our cloak is, if like Bartimaeus, we understand who has called us, what are we going to do when Jesus called us? Are we prepared to throw off our cloaks just as he did and approach Jesus? I've been listening to this song recently. It's called You Put Your Name On Me. It's a beautiful song. And um, there is a line in it that says, it's about calling on the name of Jesus. It says, something happens when we call you. You move. You'll never leave us the same. And I've been challenged about that, that every time, not just the first time, not just the second time, not just the tenth time, every time we call on the name of Jesus, something happens. We may not always feel it. Our circumstances may not immediately change, but something happens every time we call him. And every time we call him, he never leaves us the same. So are we prepared for Jesus to change us? just as Bartimaeus was. So that's our lovely Bartimaeus. What about Jesus? Three things that I think Jesus teaches us in this story about the priorities of the kingdom. The first is that Jesus altered his program. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call for him. Jesus stopped. He and his disciples were on their way to another city, and yet he stopped. Jesus, the word made flesh, there from the beginning, flung the stars into space, stopped to have an encounter with a man that nobody thought was worth anything. If he was important to Jesus, he certainly should be important to us. You know, we can often talk about the Great Commission, and we know it well to go into the ends of the earth. We read about it in Matthew 28, verse 18, and sometimes we don't have to go very far at all to go to the ends of the world. We simply need to look to those who have been overlooked in our own communities. You might think it's a bit early to be thinking about Christmas, and it probably is, but I'm always struck by the greeting that the, shepherd, the shepherds were given by the angel announcing the birth of Jesus. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Simple as that. You know, according to the last survey of its kind, approximately 80 to 90% of people living with a disability worldwide have never heard the gospel. They have never heard this good news of great joy for all people. They have never heard that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Until we are reaching all people, we have to be prepared to stop, to alter our programs, and to change our plans just as Jesus did. So, so that people can know this good news of great joy. Secondly, Jesus challenged the crowds. Again, verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call for him. I love the fact that Jesus brought this huffing, tutting, critical crowd into this story and made them part of this incredible encounter. Of course, Jesus could have gone to Bartimaeus himself, but he chose not to. He chose to encourage the people to call for him. 
And then they became part of the story. They went from silencing him to being his cheerleaders. Cheer up. Get up on your feet. Jesus is calling for you. Jesus made a very deliberate decision to challenge their view on Bartimaeus and ensure that everybody saw and everybody heard that he was making a choice to be with Bartimaeus. And I think if we are to truly call ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus, people of the kingdom, as I like to think of it, passport holders of the kingdom, then what we do needs to reflect the priorities of the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 12, I love this passage, Paul talks about the body, one body, many parts, the body of Christ. And he says from verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, whilst our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so I think we have to work hard to make sure that we honor the parts of the body that have lacked it, as it says in that verse. The parts that our society would deem weaker, not so in the kingdom. Our society, our structures, our practices, our preferences, even our legislation put limitations on people with physical and learning disabilities every single day. That might be the case out there, but not here, because here, is kingdom ground. And so if we are truly living as passport holders of the kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom, whenever people enter this building, it's got to feel like kingdom ground. But even more than that, because we are the church wherever we are, when people meet us on the bus, on the school playground, in the supermarket, in our places of work, it's got to feel like kingdom ground. And so here on kingdom ground, you are not seen as weaker. We want you to know you are, in fact, indispensable, and we will work hard to treat you with special honor to align our priorities with the priorities of the kingdom. Just as Jesus encouraged the crowds to be cheerleaders, so we are called to be cheerleaders for the sidelined in our society and to challenge perceptions and systems wherever we find ourselves. And thirdly and finally, Jesus gave Bartimaeus dignity. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man replied, Rabbi, I want to be able to see. And this is the final verse that we're going to look at, and of course it deals with the healing of Bartimaeus, but I wanted to just stop and recognize that we've already talked so much about the priorities of the kingdom before we come to this healing part. And the reason I want to say that is because I think in the past, churches have been guilty of feeling the need to fix or correct people, or even suggesting that people don't have enough faith if they don't get healed. Well, let's be very clear about one thing. Let's go back to the Adonai of Leviticus. You matter because of who I am. Full stop, end of discussion. And God's glory is revealed in all of his people. It wasn't just in the healing that Jesus gave Bartimaeus dignity. It was in the way he treated him from the very beginning. 
because he loved him and recognized that he was a bearer of Christ's own image. And so I wanted to read a particular quote. This comes from a, um, a dissertation by Kate Bowen Evans. It's called A Disabled Reading of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. And she says this, Christ's resurrected body carries the scars of crucifixion. When Christ's body was beaten, weak, and drained, this was simultaneously the moment of Christ's victory. Christ crucified is never any less a member of the Trinity or a perfect image of the invisible God. And so I want to say to you this morning, in the building or watching online, regardless of what your body can or cannot do, the way your mind works, you are no less a member of the body of Christ or an image bearer of the maker. May you hold on to that image of Christ's body being broken and drained, also simultaneously being the moment of his victory over sin, death, and the grave. And may that encourage you. So back to the story. The crowd had assumed to tell Bartimaeus what to do, when to speak, when not to speak, and they rebuked him. They thought they knew the best for him. But Jesus, who of course knew all things, did the total opposite. Now that the crowd have brought Bartimaeus to him and everyone is watching what he's going to do next, he asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? In that question, Bartimaeus is given a voice, he is given a choice, and he is given the opportunity for partnership. We're going to do this together, Bartimaeus. And of course, he says, I want to be able to see. Jesus does just that for him. And then we read that Bartimaeus followed him on the road. He was given the opportunity to join in partnership in the kingdom. An incredible thing. It can be so easy to assume that we're doing the right thing, that we're making the right choices, but we need to not get tripped up by leaning on our own understanding. We need to remember that this kingdom is indeed an upside-down kingdom. Matthew 25, 31 to 40 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it looks like. It's simply that we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and our motivation is to become more like Jesus. And when we're motivated by his love, we want to do everything we can to enable everyone to flourish as co-heirs of the kingdom and co-partners in the gospel. Fellow citizens, passport holders of the kingdom, our love will always move us to action, and as we become more like Jesus, our hearts will align with the heart of the King. 
And why I love this passage in Matthew 25 is because when we stand before our maker, he's perhaps not going to ask us to break down all of our beliefs and go through key doctrine with us. But Jesus is certainly suggesting that he will want to know what we have done for those he con we considered to be the last, the least, and the lost. He is going to want to know how the love, the grace, and the mercy that he has so generously poured on us have so transformed our priorities into people who have showed justice and loved mercy and walked humbly with him. He's going to want to see how the love he showed us has show transformed us to love all that he has made. And so I love this story of Bartimaeus and the way that it shows us the heart of God and the priorities of the kingdom. Jesus outlines this so beautifully for us that there is space for everyone. Let's go back to where we started. Women, not as second-class citizens, but as they were created, co-image bearers with men in the kingdom. Children, not as second-class citizens, but brought into belonging with a kingdom that belongs to them. The rich and those who have done all the right things being challenged to throw aside everything that they've held important and decide that they would give it all up because Jesus is more important. And Bartimaeus teaches us that we can get new revelation of Jesus from those who have lived with challenge, limitation, or disability that we simply won't get anywhere else. We are challenged to consider how desperate we are for more of Jesus in our lives and how aware we are of our constant need for him. And we're challenged to consider what cloaks of limitation we might be wearing and whether we're prepared to throw them off when Jesus calls us. And Jesus reminds us that in the kingdom, our priorities have to change. We have to change our programs. We have to become cheerleaders for the sidelines. And we truly have to embody what it means to be the body of Christ. How we treat others looks different because when they meet us, they are on kingdom ground. And our dignity is restored just as we are when we meet and truly encounter Jesus. Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it in abundance. Abundant life starts here in the kingdom with a king who gave his all for each and every one of us. And whatever other messages you may be receiving from other, other places in society, know that you can indeed have life and have it in its abundance, right where you are. So I think there is an invitation this morning. Every single person in this room and watching online has something to offer, a unique gift that God has given them to glorify him, to build up the church, and to advance the kingdom. I hope that through this story, particularly if you are living with a disability, you will be able to see that you have a necessary part to play and that there is partnership for you in the kingdom. May you know that if you are willing, God wants to use you and your story here on earth and what richness we will all experience as God's family if every single one is enabled and empowered to play their part. That sounds like a kingdom that I want to be a part of. How about you? We're going to pray now, and I'm going to invite Liz Hook from our all-in team to come and read a prayer for us. Thank you, Liz. This is a prayer 
written by Jonathan Bryan, who is 16 years old and has cerebral palsy. He has written this prayer by eye movement alone, using an alphabet board. At the end of each phrase, I shall say, Lord of life and love, and if everybody can join in, hear our prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful diversity of people you have created and that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise you for the variety of gifts you have given to your people. Lord of life, hear our prayer. Forgive us for the times we have marred your image within us. We are sorry for when we have made assumptions about people different to ourselves and excluded those Jesus went out of his way to include. Lord of life, hear our prayer. Help us to reach out to those on the margins. Enlarge our vision to value and actively include everyone who is differently abled. Lord of life, hear our prayer. We pray for people who feel disabled by society's assumptions and who are prevented from reaching their full potential. Lord of life and love, hear our prayer. Thank you for the Through the Roof and other organisations working hard to unroof the lives of people with disabilities. May your church lead the way in demonstrating life in all its fullness. Amen. invite the band to come back and we're going to sing about the goodness of God as we come to close our time together.